let me do a little housekeeping right off the bat here. For those of you that don't know me, yes, that, that picture's gone now, right? Okay, good. Uh, I'm Pastor Nick Dalio from Bayside Chapel. I have a very long history with the very beginnings of, of uh, your church, of Wellspring Church. As a matter of fact, in the early, early stages of it, uh, Pastor Jason and I have been in ministry now for, uh, since he came to Bayside, so probably eight, eight nine years now we've been in ministry together. Um, from its very first inception, when Bayside had the dream uh, to plant a church, and, and Pastor Jason took on that responsibility, um, we, we were meeting about this, and I was helping him. I'm the graphics designer over there. And um, So if you love the Wellspring logo, I did it. If you think the Wellspring logo looks like an upside-down transformer thing, Pastor Jason told me to do it. So we'll just leave it at that. No, but it's an honor to be here. You know, I, I, I haven't been here to preach since last year, and I always, it's not that I forget, but I, I forget how much work actually goes into this church. So I just want to take a minute to, um, to remind you guys that there is the, the amount of volunteers and the amount of things that happen to make this place so comfortable for you to eliminate distractions week in and week out, early mornings. I am just so impressed with the, uh, I mean, everything from the worship team to the greeters to the sound people, parking lot. I'm sure I'm missing a whole bunch, but I am thankful that I was in the early stages, the early part of uh, when this whole thing was conceived and then watching it play out now week in and week out and the amount of work that goes into uh, getting Wellspring up and running every week with nothing more than a focus of loving on this community all for the glory of God. So thank you very much for being a part of that. We are kicking off a new series. I have the honor of doing that this week. As Graham mentioned, it's called Quenched. So I figured we'd start out by talking about if, if you're no, what, what are some of the reasons, let's just take our bodies for example, what are some of the reasons that we're always thirsty? Why, 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 why would you be thirsty? I think there's two main factors of why we're thirsty all the time. Number one is we don't drink enough water. So statistics show that you're supposed to drink um, half of your body weight in water. So for me, that's, well, that's none of your business for me. You figure out your own. But that's a lot of water. So, so most likely, we, you know, we, we're in the habit of not drinking enough water. The other reason is the things we put into our body that deplete us of water. You know, I, I made a list because I looked up. I'm like, okay, what are some of the, the unknown things that we, we put into our bodies that we ingest that kind of get that water out that, that would make us not feel quenched, that make us always feel thirsty? Here's some of the, the things. Well, there's obvious like soda, fruit juice, coffee, energy drinks, salty and fried foods. Asparagus and beets. Well, there goes my lunch. And, of course, cured meats, your salami, your pepperoni. By the way, you have your picture of heaven. My picture of heaven includes many cured meats, donuts, and an awesome Chinese buffet. That's, that's heaven in a nutshell for me. But we do. We put things into our body that, that just kind of, take the water, absorb the water right out of us, and we don't feel quenched, and we don't feel thirsty. And unfortunately, we do that with our spiritual life, don't we? We're never ingesting enough uh, to last. We're never, you know, and we, we, put, we put things in our body, we put things in our mind, we do things that 
kind of kind of get rid of the spirit out of us and kind of suck us dry of of just of Jesus. You know, especially as 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 you go throughout the week. And I think our 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 people th- that we're dealing with here, the Galatians. I know you guys have been. This is uh, chapter three we're diving into today, and I think this is a very unique turning point in the book. Uh, Paul has taken two chapters to set us up with this idea of of where he came from and how he was approved by the other apostles. And he's already talking about these Judaizers. The Judaizers is the word that um, th- that these people are called who are coming in trying to preach a different gospel other than Paul preached. And he's trying to lead these people away. And I feel like he's, for the first time, we're seeing, we're going to see Paul this week with a different, a different attitude. He's angry. He's angry because his, his friends, his, these people that he's poured into, they're, they're kind of turning away from what they know to be true. And they're turning away from what they, what they know God has done in their life. But yet they're, they're kind of turning from it. And Paul's angry. He knows that they've been fooled. They've been fooled again. So today, I want to look at two different ways of how we could not get fooled again. What can we do to, pre- to prevent ourselves from being fooled again into thinking that we need to go and follow another gospel that isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is it that we can do to protect ourselves so that we don't get thirsty along the way? What is it that we can do so we don't end up like them? Following a gospel that isn't real. Following a gospel that, that quite honestly, is, is just too hard and that nobody can follow. But yet we do it all the time. I want to just take one verse to start off with today. If you have your Bible or you use the app or you don't do anything but read the screen, it's totally fine. I'm going to read from this Bible this morning. There's something for me lately, and this is just a side note about actually when I read, I'm, I'm like you. I have, I have the electronic version on my phone, and I love it. I probably go to that more times than, than ever. But I, see, I, I would just challenge you to once in a while just pick up the old paper copy, and there's something powerful about it. There's something about this word that just, man, you hold it. And our, today's passage is going to ring true for that because in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says right off the bat, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. Now, that's pretty strong language right off the bat. Oh, foolish Galatians. He's calling them foolish. He set us up for two chapters talking about, here's, here's some of the mistakes you've made to get to this point, and now he's actually calling them foolish. And these these Judaizers, they're, you know, they, they've, they've come in, they're like pretend Christians. And it's funny because they kind of candy coat the gospel too. They're not saying, hey, Paul was wrong. Believe what, what we're telling you. They're coming in more of an attitude like, hey, you know, Paul was good. And, and this gospel of Jesus Christ, it's, it's good. But you need to do a little more. They're trying to tell them that they need to become Jews and they, and they need to become circumcised and they need to eat the same way and eat, you know, not eat meats. Whatever, whatever rules the Jews follow, they basically tell them you need to believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's all good and well, but you need to do this as well. And, and they're going back to the law. They were freed from that bondage. They were freed from that law. And yet, for some reason, they're going back to that law. They've been fooled. They've been tricked. Paul 
he says to them, who bewitched you? They were in bondage, and now they're no longer in bondage, and yet they go back to it. And this is funny because if you think about it, this, this comes right from the pit of hell. This is, this is the devil's tactic. You know how we know that? If you know anything about the Bible, you know about Genesis, and you know what happened to Eve. What happened with Eve and, this, and the serpent? She was bewitched. She was tricked. The serpent didn't come in and say, hey, this is wrong. Do it this way. What did he say? He said, did he really say that? He said he, he tricked. He worked, his way, he worked his way in to get her to do something she knew she wasn't supposed to do. It worked in the beginning of time. It worked throughout the Old Testament. It worked with our friends, the Galatians. And guess what? It still works for us today. We still do the same thing. We're, we get tricked. We get bewitched, just like our friends here. here here's an easy way to spot when somebody's uh, talking a, a gospel that is uh, contradictory to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They all have one thing in common. The one thing all false gospels have in common is that they try to tell you that the work of Jesus Christ and the word of God is not enough. They all have that in common. They all, every other religion, every other belief system tries to tell you that this isn't enough. So in order to not get fooled again, I want to look at two key words today. Just two words I want you to remember. That was four. Two. Two key words I want you to remember when you leave here today. The first one we're going to look at is experiences. Because Paul's going to take our first couple of verses and he's going to talk to the Galatians about their experiences so far and how they got here. And we need to do that. We need to remember our experiences. You need to remember where this all started for you. So again, if you have your Bible or you're following along, we're going to pick this up in verse 2. We're in Galatians chapter 3. This is verse 2. It says, let me ask you only, one, uh, only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's funny that Paul starts off this passage and he says, I only want to ask you one thing. And then he goes ahead and asks him five questions. But he's using these questions to provoke their thinking about their past experiences, to basically point out it's illogical for you to go backwards. Look where you came. Look how, look how you started off. So my question is, why is it so appealing for them or even us? Why is it so appealing to go backwards? Why is it so appealing to know that you've been set free from bondage, you've been set free from any, anything you can bring to the cross, Christ has conquered? And yet we go back to thinking that we can improve on it. We go back to thinking that we could do better or that God needs our help. Why is it so appealing? Here's what I came up with. The first one, pride. Pride. We like to get in there and work with our hands and, and, and help out. We like to boast. We like to say, yeah, you know, God, God, God picked me up out of the miry clay and he, he did this and this for me and, and I did this and this too. And you put me and God together, and boy, what a team. Pride. We all suffer from it. We all deal with it. The second thing, and this doesn't just go for Christians, this is life in general, 
we like to keep score. We love to keep score. You find some of the most religious people you could think of, and they're keeping score. Well, I, I, I go to church, and I, I do this, and I do this. I do this, this, and this. What do you do? Oh, you only go on Sunday. Ooh. I have an aunt who is uh, a very religious woman. Um, she will be the first one to, she goes on Wednesday night. She goes on Sunday night, uh, Sunday morning. She's, she probably goes and lights candles. She does the rosary. She does everything. She is the most, and I hope she never watches this, she is the most foul-mouthed woman that you will ever run across. Everyone in the family knows not to cross her path. Everyone knows not to get on her gossip list and everything else. But she'll tell you, well, you didn't go to church on Wednesday? <laughs> you better hope you don't die tonight. But, but you keep in score. Or we do it with our kids sometimes. You get people, you know, who, who want to tell you stories about their kids and how, how great, you know, or their family life, right? You, uh, now with social media, you see that all over the place. Uh, my kids are great. I'm great. You know, every one of my kids has done amazing things. I'm I'm a great parent, and we do this at night, and we and you know what? That's great if if that's really what's going on. But think about it. At some point, you're basically just keeping score with other people. And these are the reasons why we we kind of like to help Jesus out. We like to help God out with some of these things. But this isn't just keeping score about who's doing a little bit better here locally in life. This is, this, is your, this is your salvation. This is your spirit. This is, this is the way you're going to live out this life. This is part of the process. And when we slide back into thinking that we can help God, we become just like the Galatians. The law does not work. Who here follows the Ten Commandments? I know you. You better put your hand down. <laughs> All right, who follows nine of them? Eight? Seven, see, it doesn't work because the law means that you, you follow it. You either follow the law or you don't. The law and faith do not mix. So when our friends here that Paul is talking to, the Galatians are sliding backwards into this lifestyle of thinking that they got to follow the law as well as believe in Jesus, this is why He's angry. You know, if you look back to, we're actually in, at Bayside doing a, a study in Ephesians, and I love this chapter because it pretty much sums up why we're not supposed to do that. I'll just read it. Ephesians 2.8 says, uh, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Think, let me stop right there. Think about that for a second. If I gave you a gift, you would say what? Thank you. You wouldn't take that gift and turn around and go, hey, look what I did to get this gift. You wouldn't do that. And, and the, end, the end of this passage in Ephesians says, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. That's why it's given to you as a gift. That's why you don't have to work for it because you might work more than I do or I might work more than you do for it. It doesn't work that way. Law and faith don't mix. You can't just obey the law a little bit. Imagine getting pulled over by a police officer, and you turn around, and you go, hey, I, I know I was doing this, but I wasn't doing this. It doesn't work. You either obey it or you don't. And these Judaizers, I mean, they were selling this gospel. Did, 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 I, I thought about that. Did, 
Did these Judaizers do any miracles that Jesus did? did they, is their story proven at all? No. And this is one of the hardest things for people to realize about the gospel. It really is. It seems easy. It seems like the, this, this, whole, this whole thing just seems too easy sometimes. Not life, but, but faith in Christ. It just seems too easy. So I just want to take a moment today. If, you're, if you've been wrestling with this or you've been struggling with or you're, you're just here kind of toying around or, or just checking out, you know, what, the, what this gospel thing is, what Christ is all about, and, and you keep coming up with the same conclusion time and time and time again. You keep looking into it and going, I don't know, man, it just seems too easy. If you keep coming up to that conclusion that the gospel is too easy, then good because you're finally getting it. It is that easy. Jesus tells us time and time again, burden is light, yoke is easy. It's easy. It's easy. There's no reason to go back to doing a list of things. I got to do this, 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 and this, and then believe in Jesus. That's why Paul is angry here. Let's continue on in our story. Let's pick up on in verse 6. Verse 6 says, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that, that this is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, I don't have time today to go into the story of Abraham, but he mentions it so much here, I feel like we need to just take a quick trip kind of mentally backwards to talk about Abraham for a second to kind of put it in context. But what Paul is doing now is he switched from us from talking about our experiences, things that we've experienced, to now our second key word of the day, knowledge. Paul used experiences, and now he's going to use his knowledge his knowledge of the Old Testament. How did he gain this knowledge? By filling himself up with it. Right? Going back to where I thought about being quenched. He filled himself up with it. So if we're using our experiences and our knowledge, Paul is now showing them that, hey, take it, not only take a look at your experience, but look backwards. Look at, the, look at the old, this proof right here in the Old Testament. This is the gospel. Basic, this story of Abraham is basically the gospel in the Old Testament. It was counted to Abraham by his works, uh, not by his works, but by his faith. And that's why Paul is using this as an example. So let me just set this up real quick with what they mean about Abraham. Abraham, all he wanted was a son. He wanted an heir. And he prayed and he prayed and he lamented over it and he prayed and he cried out to God and it seemed like none of that was going to happen. And Abraham's faith was at an all-time low. Ever been there? And then God spoke to him. And this is what he says. Genesis 15, 5 and 6. And he said, and he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Let me stop right there. Think about that. All he wanted was the son. A son. And God said, you know, you know what? 
go outside, look up to the heavens. If you can count the stars, that's how much offspring you will have. But nothing had happened yet. Imagine just crying out to God, and God God said, not only am I going to bless you, but I am going to bless you to, to a number you can't even count. And then our next verse is key. This is what Paul is quoting. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. See, God saw the faith in Abraham's heart. God saw the faith in Abraham's soul. It didn't have to happen yet. And he treasured it more than Abraham's current state of mind. Can you believe that for your own life? Can can you trust in God for things that haven't happened yet? Things you're waiting on? Knowing that God sees your heart and that God sees your soul? And that you don't have to revert back to to the law to kind of helping God out with these things? And, 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 And making things happen on your own? Trusting in God fully? Because that's what it means to trust in God fully. These are not these are not the easy parts of life. Now I'm I I, I kind of struggle with this too because I'm a worker. I I, I like to get involved. I, I'm not one for sitting around in the kumbaya circle going, oh, we'll just sit here and just leave it up to God and just hope something drops out of the sky. And I don't believe God wants that from us either. God wants faith and He wants action. He wants faith and He wants action. But those, those works are not to help God along. It's just part of, it's part of our process. It's part of what we do. He doesn't want us to stay idle. But he doesn't want us thinking that the things that we do are helping him along with the process. Your feelings and your moods change constantly. You know, I, there's a story that I can go on with for a long time, and some of you who came from Bayside will will probably have heard this already, but just a, an example of how this happened in our lives, my wife and I. By the way, that's my wife sitting in the front row, this beautiful lady right there. 26 years married, a couple weeks. She doesn't like attention, so I normally don't do that, but since we're not at our home church. <laughs> yep. Uh, about when I came into ministry, I was... Uh, Started out part-time, and I felt God kind of called me to do that. And then uh, at some point, we sat and we figured out that God was really calling me into full-time ministry. So after about a year working part-time, I, uh, we had a business. We sold it, sold it, sold all the stuff with the business, and I went to work in ministry full-time. It was an exciting time in our life. Two weeks later, our senior pastor, the founding pastor of 20 years, decided to abruptly leave the church. Within a couple months after that, I was told, since I was the last one hired, my position wouldn't be needed anymore. Talk about a punch to the gut. But God, we we trusted you. We we gave it all up, came to work in ministry full time, and here this happened. Now, this was a pivotal moment for us. I'm not patting ourselves on the back saying we were like, oh, yay, God's got this. We're good to go. We struggled. We struggled. We, we cried. We, 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 we talked. We, we got angry. We, did, we, did, we went through all the emotions. But I am so, so glad and so happy that God put such a love and direction in our heart at the time that our faith did not change. Not once did we look at each other and say, 
you know what? We're just giving this whole thing up. We knew God had something out there. We just, you can't see it. We could not see it. We were as about as far down as seeing it as you can, kind of like Abraham. But God kept us solid, and he said, I got something for you. And what you're witnessing now is sort of the byproduct of that. Not only did, did the uh, elder board decide to not get rid of me, but eventually I, my full-time job was secure. And then out of nowhere, God called me to be a pastor. And now I was doing music and in the church full-time. I was a worship leader. I was a worship pastor. And then all of a sudden, God said, hey, I want you to preach. And so now you get to see the byproduct of that. And, God, and this journey would have never have happened for us had our faith been shaken to the point where we walked away or tried to follow some other gospel at the time, tried to help God along with the process that he was in the middle of putting us through. It has nothing to do. Never let your ever-changing feelings and your mood, because they do, your feelings and your mood change all the time. Never, level, never let that dictate the level of your faith. And the reason, these, these, the reason I'm going into detail about Abraham, like I said, is because Paul is using that example here because, I, because he says the Judaizers were using Abraham. They were using him as an example to the Galatians. They were, they were using him and going and saying, hey, Abraham and his whole family got circumcised. So why don't you get circumcised? See, you need to become a Jew. You need to follow the law. But knowledge, Paul's knowledge immediately knows what they're trying to do. They're trying to twist something that's not there. I'm going to read you a small section of another great book of the Bible, Romans, that Paul wrote, where he talks about this exact thing in length. In Romans 4, 9 and 10, 9 says, so, so they're asking Paul about this Abraham thing. So Paul says, is the blessing then only for circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. That's what the Bible says, right? How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? That's the big question. So if these Judaizers are coming in selling the wrong gospels, pointing to Abraham saying, well, Abraham was circumcised and it was counted to him as righteousness, Paul answers that question right here. He says, it was not, it was after. Paul's faith was granted to him before he was circumcised. So these Judaizers are now in town and they're selling this false gospel that is nowhere near what Paul is preaching. And they're using examples that don't even make sense because they don't even know what they're talking about. How do we know this? Knowledge. Experiences and knowledge. You want to stay quenched? Fill up. Fill up with God. Fill up with, fill up with his word. Pray. Let God pour into your life. Let that spirit fill you. Look back at your experiences. See where God has taken you. See where, remember where this all started for you. We're going to read the end of our passage here. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. Verse 10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed by everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteousness shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing 
of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might have the promised spirit through faith. I think verse 13 is one of the most blunt and direct ways that the gospel is described. I've got to read verse 13 again. I love that. It says, Christ redeemed us for the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. I say you take the John 13 bumper sticker off your car and put that on as a bumper sticker and see what kind of looks you get. Hey, what's with the cursed is everyone on a tree sticker? Verse 13 says redeemed. The word redeemed here means to be set free. He's reminding them you've been set free from the law. And, and this, is, this is really, really interesting. Think about this. People don't usually walk away from Jesus. They, they, when people walk away from Christianity, it's usually not because of Jesus himself. People, I've never met anybody to go, oh, I, I used to be a Christian, but that Jesus, whoo, I've never heard it. What do they walk away from? Why do people walk away from Christianity? Why do people give up the faith? And why do some people never even come to faith? Think about it. I know we, it, more times than not, it's because they think that, that Christianity is about a bunch of rules that you have to follow, that they eventually realize really quick, you can't follow. Nobody can. And that's why people walk away. Because sometimes I think we, you know, we have to learn through our process how to explain the gospel correctly. That's why you guys have great classes here, like Starting Point. You, you, you need to go back to the basics. Remember what we talked about earlier, your experiences. You need to add that all together. This, the gospel is not about, about doing works. The, the gospel is not about a, a, a book of laws. Yeah, the Ten Commandments are great. They were a guide, but they didn't work. Throughout history, they didn't work. If they worked, we wouldn't have needed Christ. He's quoting Deuteronomy uh, 21 here when he says, a man who is hung on a tree is cursed. But wasn't it these same Judaizers, these same people trying to sell this gospel? Wasn't it these same people who hung Jesus there in the first place? Absolutely it was. They're the ones that put him there. But we know one thing for sure. We know why he was put on that curse. See, that, that curse was ours. And he took it for us. So they can try and use that as an example. But guess what? It doesn't work. Because it was there on that cursed tree. The finished work of the cross. When you think about the cross, you have to remember it's not just a cross. It's not just a picture. It's not just the, the necklaces we wear. It's the finished work of what happened there. That now we have a right relationship with God and access to the same promises and blessings that he promised to Abraham, having been redeemed, set free from the law. Yet we tend to slide back so many times. As soon as the going gets tough, we're just like our friends, the Galatians here. And we become thirsty. And we become tired. Because we're trying to do things we're just not supposed to do. We're, trying to, we're carrying burdens we're not supposed to carry. So now it's time where we're going to get a little practical here. Anybody have a dream car? A car that you probably can't afford, or if you can, great. I'd like to be your friend when service is over. But let's just 
What's your dream car? Shout it out. And don't give me no, like, one that was made a year ago, you know. I'm talking real car. Anybody? What do you got? What's your dream car? F-250 pickup? Yeah. You live in the pines, don't you? <laughs> F-250. With a camper on the back, too. Come on, give me a car. Give me a car. Give me a Camaro. Give me something. 67 Camaro. Beautiful car. What else? Impala. 67 Impala. Now we're talking. We got muscle. What's, what was that? Oh, yeah. Now we're in Chevy land. For me, it's a 78 anniversary edition two-tone with T-tops Corvette. Probably with some fuzzy lambskin seats and probably dice hanging from the mirror. <laughs> but let's just imagine I got that car. I, I, you know, I came across some money and I said, me and Tracy said, you know what? It's time. It's time. Go ahead. Go ahead and get your dream car. Get the car you want. And I get that car and I and I order it and I say, hey, um, I'm finally going to get this car, which, by the way, if you, re if you realize what I kind of car I drive, it's only a two-seater, which means my dream of driving around with my wife does not involve kids in the car at all. But let's say I order that car, and I, and I say, hey, you know what? Do me a favor. I love it. It's perfect, spotless. Don't put the engine in it. But why not? No, 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 no. It doesn't need the engine. I'm going to do it. I'm going to drive it around. I'm going to push it. I'm going to Flintstone that thing. I got it. And they're like, yeah, no, but the engine is, is how you're going to get from point A to point B. The engine is going to be what, what gets you to go. You step on the gas, it's easy. You go. And I, nah, I got it. I'm going to take that new car. I'm going to put my wife in the passenger seat, and I'm going to push it around town. How far do you think I'm going to get? I mean, maybe if I'm going downhill, I'll... You know, life's going a little easy. What about if I got to go uphill a little bit? What happens if I got to go more than 10 feet? And that's, what our, that's a picture of what our lives look like. That's a picture of, you know, God, God's the power. And yet we try and do it on our own. That's why Paul's so angry here. He's, he's afraid his friends, he's afraid they're going to go back into a lifestyle like this where they're trying to do it on their own. God says no. The gospel says no. I got it. We're, we're taught as Christians to, to, to bring, bring it all to the cross, bring it all to the foot of the cross, right? Not, not, not bring some and, and leave some, bring it all. That's the gospel. It was all accomplished there. Take a trip with me real quick to that day. As we close out today, just, just mentally bring yourself there. As we bring, let's go to the cross together. So we can see what this looks like. Let's go to the cross. Let's go and let's let's sit at the foot of the cross while Christ is hanging up there. And let's bring some stuff to him. So uh, God, thank you for what you're doing. It looks that that's great. I, I know I know you're taking on uh, the, the sin and the punishment I should be getting. Thank you. And so I I I bring you. Uh, I want to be a better dad. So here. I'm, I'm going to bring that there. I'll tell you what, though. Uh, you take 75, I'll take 25. Thank you. You take that, I'll take this. 
We'll work on it together. Or, or God, uh, I'm struggling with addiction. I, I want to conquer this addiction, so I'm going to leave it here at the foot of the cross. And, and once again, thank you for what you're doing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some back. I'll take some back. I got this part. You take this, and I'll take that. God, I, 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 I'm, I'm struggling. I, I'm struggling. I can't, I can't get out of this rut I'm in. I can't get a... Okay, God says, bring it. Bring it and leave it right here. I've taken care of it all. What's the three words from the cross we rely on? It is finished. Leave it here. It's finished. That doesn't mean we, we leave it and then when times get tough, we turn around and we go back and we pick up a little more. You need to stay quenched. You need to stay filled. You need to look back at your experiences. You need to gain knowledge in Christ so you're stopped running back to the foot of the cross and picking up things that you should have left there a long time ago. You need to have a faith that's strong. You need to gain that knowledge so that your faith just isn't here on Sunday morning. And Wednesday comes and guess what? Uh, I'm going to, I'll take this back, God. You don't, what you did wasn't enough. I'll take it back. No, you need a faith that is not only strong on Monday, but it's thriving on Tuesday. And when Wednesday hits, it's even stronger. And when Thursday comes, you can't wait because you know Sunday's coming again. You're going to gather where you fit. That's the kind of faith that filling yourself up to be quenched with constantly brings. Filling yourself up with knowledge of God's word. Don't be like our friends here. Don't be like the Galatians where they keep slipping back and getting sold into something that they shouldn't be doing. Christ made this easy. The gospel is easy. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about today, I encourage you. There's a tent outside. Go and talk to somebody. There's people in the aisles. They would love to speak to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ and explain to you just how easy it is. Would you guys stand as we sing out about our great resurrected king this morning? for watching. If this was your first time with us, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you call Wellspring Church home, different ways to give are listed in the video description below. And please subscribe to our Facebook, Instagram, and this YouTube channel to be kept up in all the newest content from Wellspring Church.